0: Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message from May 2020. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby, Oklahoma. I'm up in our games room. Uh, Bev is out with Emma, our granddaughter. Emma's came down to spend some time with us and they've gone over to pick up Ava, our other granddaughter, and uh, the two of the three of them will be going to lunch and then they'll be coming home and baking downstairs. Bev's got all the stuff ready to bake ginger nuts. You might call them ginger snaps, yeah, but they are it's a South African recipe that Bev's mother used to make and my mother used to make and ginger nuts are wonderful uh, cookies or biscuits, as we called them in South Africa, to dunk into coffee in the mornings or into hot tea. They're just a delightful thing. So you won't be able to smell the aroma wafting up here to me, but I will after a bit. And uh, anyway, that's us. We're in a, a prolonged season of spring mild weather. We've Certainly enjoyed an extended period of mild temperatures and it's been simply delightful. Uh, We've had good rains and we are heading into, it looks like, A time when we're going to have higher temperatures, but it has been delightful to use our back porch every morning and sit and have quiet time together drinking coffee. And that's where we are. We're blessed. God's good to John and Beverly, and we are rejoicing in his blessing and in his goodness. I'm returning to our series on Know Who You Are. Just to, by way of refreshing your memories and for those who might be joining later on, I'd encourage you to go back to the beginning of January 2019 where I started the series. On the 1st of January, I was reading Luke chapter 17 and meditating on the first verses. And I felt I heard the Father say, you have to know who you are. And I felt that was the title for a series that I was going to do on knowing who you are, and also then building into knowing the authority that you walk in, out of your identity as a son and a daughter of God and as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so we've spent most of last year and into this year on identity, and now we're getting into the issue of authority. The passage that we've been studying, it has been the basis of our study, is Luke chapter 17. And I'm going to read it again. Maybe this will be the last time that I'll read it because we'll be moving on to other things from this month on. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves If your brother sin against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The disciples said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, often, and in my Bible, that Lord increase our faith introduces a new section. But I believe the two and especially the next section on authority are totally uh, coherent in the way they are put together because you see it takes faith to trust that when I obey the commandment to forgive that God is going to take care of the situation if Jesus said if your brother sins against you rebuke him that's that's verbally communicated rebuke and he returns to you and says, I repent, you are to forgive him, that's verbally communicated. And if he offends you or sins against you seven times in a day and seven times returns and says, I repent, you're to forgive him seven times, again verbally communicating. Well, the issue then becomes, why should I forgive him anymore? Because obviously it isn't working. And so it takes faith to believe that as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 at the end, that be kind to one another, tender on it, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The word, therefore, forgiveness is charizomite, or to release grace to, to give grace to. And so it takes faith to believe that when you're speaking forgiveness, that there is a release of God's grace to that situation, to that person, and to yourself. And I want to tell you this, taking it a little step further. That as John says, if your heart condemn you us not, then we have confidence toward God. There is nothing that is going to undermine your confidence in the moment when you're to stand in authority than an accusatory heart within you. If you have unresolved business, I was sharing some of these concepts uh, last week with a group of men that I was having a meal with and I shared some of these concepts on authority and so on. And immediately one of the men started speaking to me about people who owed him money and what should he do about it because his heart accuses him about the fact that he has unforgiveness toward people who owe him money and haven't repaid him back. What should he do? And so I said, well, you do what the Holy Spirit tells you, but I would forgive the debts in order to have a heart that is not filled with condemnation and accusation. So there's the relationship between having faith and confidence toward God and faith to move into what he says to do because he goes on to say, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So he's minimizing faith. He's saying it doesn't take much faith to speak to a mulberry tree and say, be rooted up and cast into the sea. In fact, uh, Mark adds, and shall not doubt in his heart. And the word for doubt in the Greek is to overjudge or overthink a situation. And what creates doubt in us is when we overthink, especially in the area of forgiveness. But if I forgive him, this might happen, and they they, they might you know, take advantage of me and all the rest of it. And we overthink these things instead of doing what we're instructed to do, what we're commanded to do, and that is to forgive. And we are commanded to forgive in the light of the fact that the Father has forgiven us. How can we hold offenses against others when God has freely forgiven us For Christ's sake, we're under obligation. It is our duty to speak forgiveness to those who have wronged us. And as you're going to see, it's absolutely essential that you do that if you're going to walk in the authority of heaven. And then he goes on and he says, And which of you having a servant, this is verse 7, plowing or tending sheep will say to him, again, speaking, will say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and sit down to eat but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. The first thing I want to draw out from that passage is this, that authority is communicated verbally. It is spoken authority. The authority of the kingdom of God is in the mouth of the citizens of the kingdom. Right from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. And ever since that point in in creation, All of God's authority is communicated verbally by his spoken word. And that is why it is so important for us when we're reading the Gospels to understand that when Jesus speaks something, he's speaking with the authority of heaven. His words have the authority and the backing of Of heaven behind them. The first thing is, therefore, authority is verbally communicated. The second thing that I derive from this passage, which I've referenced before, is this that Jesus addressed his disciples, first of all, as in the role of a master, but then, secondly, in the role of a servant, as one who has authority, and then as one who is under authority. And we are both. We are both those who walk in authority, but also those who are under authority. That that seems sort of contradictory, but it's absolutely clear. I want us to turn to Luke chapter 7, because that is the passage where this whole matter of faith and authority is most beautifully spelled out. It's the story of Jesus coming to Capernaum, and a centurion sends a message to him about his servant he sends the elders of the jews to jesus to ask jesus to heal his servant and so jesus goes with them to go to the centurion's home but while he's on the way the centurion sends a message to him and he says i'm not worthy that you should come under my roof but he said speak the word and my servant will be healed he says this verse this is luke chapter 7 And verse 7, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to their house found the servant well who had been sick. Now, I used to read that passage and I thought, surely there is a problem with with the translation. Surely he meant to say, I also am a man of authority. But then God began to open my eyes. The authority that the centurion moved in was the authority delegated to him by Caesar and by the military rulers of Rome. He was one man ruling over a hundred soldiers, and he derived his authority from the fact that he was under the authority of those who were above him and ultimately under Caesar's authority. If one morning he woke up and said to his soldiers, today, fellows, we are declaring a unilateral declaration of independence. We are no longer under Caesar's authority. Then when he says to a soldier, do this, that soldier, if he's bigger than him, will not obey him because he's got no higher authority. And so he's outnumbered 100 to 1 if he tries to exercise that authority and it is contrary to what his, his soldiers want, they can overpower him. They can overwhelm him. And he has no higher authority to appeal to because he has now declared himself to be unilaterally independent of Caesar's authority and the authority of Rome. So he derives his authority from the fact that he is under authority And basically what he's saying is, Jesus, I recognize that you have authority because you yourself are under a higher authority. He recognized that Jesus was under the authority of God. And therefore that gave Jesus the authority to speak and things happened. He said, I also am under under authority and I say to one man, go. And he goes to another man, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does this. Do you get the fact that authority is verbally communicated? You speak authoritatively. We speak to the mulberry trees. We speak to sickness. We speak to demons. We speak to things that he has given us authority over. It's verbally communicated. Now, Jesus responds and he says, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. I was mystified by the correlationship between this man understanding authority and the whole issue of faith. And I was walking in Hobbes, New Mexico in 1999, early in the year, probably February of 1999. I was doing a meeting there. And as I was walking, I was meditating on this passage. And I was saying, Lord, what is the relationship between the two? And it suddenly became absolutely clear. The centurion knew that because Jesus was under authority, when he spoke, if he was speaking according to the will of the authority that he was under, then the one who had authorized him to heal the sick, would back him 100%. And so if Jesus spoke the word, the servant would be healed. And Jesus said, wow, I've not found faith like that. No, not in Israel. Now, let me tell you a story. In uh, 1989, as many of you know, God called me out of ministry for a year. And at the close of that year, having received a prophetic word from Paul Cain that I was going to teach the church power evangelism, I fully expected to come out of that year with guns blazing. But the Lord said to me, you're not going to walk in this uh, calling and anointing until Brad graduates from high school. And I'm so grateful to God now for that, that I was able to be at home for so much of the time that Brad was in high school. I did drive a truck for a a man named Bill James, who was a member of our board of our ministry. And Bill was so wonderfully generous to us during that time. He sustained us during that time when God had called me away from a a lot of active traveling ministry. And I was returning from the East Coast uh, driving a truck. And I stopped at the Petro truck stop in West Memphis, Arkansas, just over the Mississippi River, from Memphis, to uh, refuel and to have supper and I was sitting at the uh, u uh, desk where the truckers sit, and I was having supper and I was sitting next to a woman who a truck driver, and boy, she was cussing she had a big uh, splint on her finger. And she was cussing her truck, she was cussing her dispatcher. She had caught her finger in the door of her truck in New York, and she had gone to a clinic, had her finger set and and they had prescribed paint pills, and she'd been paint pills she'd been popping those pain pills, but she'd run out of pain pills, and so she had had uh, called her dispatcher to send her more money so that she could get more pain pills and the dispatcher had refused. And so she was one unhappy customer and she was cussing like crazy. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, heal her. And it was like, I was overwhelmed. I said, you crazy. Listen to the language coming out of her mouth and look at the situation. I'm here with all these burly truckers, these rough a gen- gentleman and this, this lady sitting next to me, and a gentleman and lady, or perhaps stretchers, you know, they were male and female, but anyway. <laughs> and I was so intimidated by the situation that I could not minister to that woman. And after finishing my meal, I got back in the cab of the truck and swung out onto Interstate 40 and continued down Interstate 40 towards Little Rock, Arkansas, and as I was driving, I just said, oh, Lord, I felt so defeated. I said, Lord, I, why could I not minister to that woman? And he said to me, because you're so self-conscious. And I, I recognized that. Yes, I am so self-conscious. I'm so aware of myself and my own frailty and intimidation continually affects me and so on. And I said, yes. And so I was re- driving along, repenting of my self-consciousness. And then he said this to me. He said, if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that woman would have been healed, would you have hesitated? And I said, no. And he said, there is your problem. Your problem is one of faith. And I've realized as I've meditated upon this, that faith and authority go completely together. If I am not confident of the authority that I am under and that I have been given a a commandment to function in that authority. I'm going to be intimidated by my, by the circumstances I'm going to be intimidated by my own uh, weaknesses or my own self-consciousness. And I'm going to be neutralized in my effectiveness in the kingdom of God. So back to Hobbes, New Mexico, meditating on this passage in Luke chapter 7 in Hobbes, New Mexico. This got so big in my spirit in February of 1999. I returned home to the Metroplex, and we were about to embark on a trip to South Africa in March of 99. And I had heard about the gold being manifested in Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, and so I, I I got on the internet and I started looking at videotapes of the teeth that had been turned from just regular fillings into gold fillings in people's mouths in Toronto and also gold dust and gold nuggets and other gems that had been just appearing supernaturally in gatherings of God's people and in other places and so on. And I sat there watching this and I heard this in my spirit God is no respecter of persons and he's no respecter of places. If he'll do it anywhere, he'll do it everywhere. And if he'll do it through one person, he'll do it through anyone. And that has been a strong conviction of mine because of my understanding of Christ in me, the hope of glory. I don't need to pay a price you know, under the voice of healing, those who were used of God in healing ministry often gave the impression that they had paid a price to walk in the anointing they had walked in. And so it made them sort of an exclusive group within Christianity of people who were specially anointed because they had paid a special price. And I rejected that because I knew that was not true. I knew by the gospel of grace that there is no price that I have to to walk in the anointing of Jesus, that Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Every believer is equipped with the same anointing that was in Jesus because Jesus lives in me. And so I rejected the notion that you have to be specially anointed or specially equipped I understood as I sat before that television screen, God is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of places. If he'll do it in Toronto, he'll do it wherever I go. If he'll do it through John R. not in Toronto and through others that I had seen on the internet, he'll do it through me. And so Bev and I went to South Africa. Now, I'm telling you this whole story because I want you to see something really important with this whole matter of authority that comes from this passage. Bev and I, for some reason, flying over on Friday, we arrived there, tired, we had Saturday free, and Bev and I had begun an argument and all day Saturday, we were in conflict. I can remember us going for a walk along the beach in Musenberg in Cape Town, and we were just at each other's throats. yeah, I know you can't believe that us. Of us we 're such nice people you 'd think well they they never get into arguments, yes, we do we are we 're human, and we're both very stubborn <laughs> god's been doing a great work in us, but at that time, I would say we were so stubborn we were we were not willing to yield to one another and say we were sorry. Sunday morning, we go into our meeting in Musenberg at the Bay Church, and I could not declare the gold there because I felt so intimidated and self-conscious by the fact that I had got into such an argument with my wife and I had asked her forgiveness, but I still felt so condemned because I didn't know how to receive forgiveness from God. I just felt so unworthy. And so after the service, some friends of ours were there, Greg and Sandy Darcy, and I'll mention their names. And so uh, we were to leave directly after the service to drive up to Muscle Bay to start a meeting that night. And Greg said, how are you driving? And I said, well, I've got this little old Honda Civic that has been provided for me. It had high mileage on it, was a beat up little car. And he said, oh no, you can't drive that. He said, take my car. And it was a 500 Mercedes SL. And those of you who know me know I'm a car nut. And so I was just blown away. By the mercy and the goodness of God, that though I had been so unworthy through being in a spat with, with my wife, here God was blessing me with a 500 SL Mercedes to drive up to Mossel Bay. And so we headed out from the church, and I was like in awe of God's goodness as we drove along. And as we were driving between River and Caledonie, on the right-hand side of the road, there is a restaurant at the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. It's on, on farmland. And they had were advertising a Sunday buffet. And as we get there, I swing in there, and Bev and I go into this restaurant to enjoy a Sunday buffet of all this wonderful South African cooking. It was another, just a God wink to us. I mean, here I am feeling terrible after the morning service where I felt so defeated that I couldn't declare the gold. And first he gives us this amazing car to drive. And then secondly, we stop at this restaurant and I'm sitting there enjoying my meal and I'm overwhelmed with the grace and the goodness of God. And it's like God said, son, it's not about you. It's about the fact that I've instructed you, I've commanded you, you to declare the goal tonight, and I will back you up 100%. And so that night, the first meeting in Mossel Bay, I simply declared what God was doing in other places and said, God is no respecter of Places. He's no respecter of persons. If he's doing it in Toronto and he's doing it in other places, he will do it here in Mossel Bay. And I spoke it forth and declared it. The next morning, Bev and I were staying with the pastor and his wife in their home. The next morning, we were awakened by an elderly couple on the front lawn of the preacher's home wanting to show us their teeth because they had discovered that morning brushing their teeth, that all their fillings had turned to gold in both of their mouths. And you can understand what an absolute encouragement that was to me. It was another, just a a manifestation of the grace and the goodness of God. And all of that week, we saw amazing signs and wonders with gold dust and gold nuggets and people's mouth turning to gold. I'll tell one story. There were gas rigs off the coast of Mossel Bay, and one of the guys from the church was on a gas Asregan and he he had an appointment with a dentist on Thursday for a a problem with his teeth, and he cancelled his dental appointment. He said, "I'm going to church. I'm going to believe God to fix my teeth." And he came, and God healed his teeth right there. We left Mossel Bay, went back to Cape Town, had some meetings in Cape Town, and then went up to Kempton Park. And again, I declared the gold. I, I know that the pastor was a little bit dubious about this, but. It was like God just gave a sign and a wonder because that night when they took the the pastor's grandchild, a little baby, home and they took its clothing off, the little child's body was covered with gold dust from head to toe. We went on to East London, had meetings there, and amazing stuff happened. I'll tell one story. There was a doctor. Who was sitting at the back and he was rather incredulous about this gold dust thing and so on. And he told me this the, sto- the story the, the following night after he had come. And he went to do surgery the next day. He was at the Marta Hospital in East London. And he said he would wash his hands scrubbing up for surgery. And he'd look at his hands and they would be full of gold. And he'd wash them and scrub them thoroughly again. And he looked and they were full of gold again. It was like he couldn't get rid of the gold on his hands. Signs and wonders. It was God's mercy. Now, I'm telling you that story because I want you to understand this. When it comes to delegated authority, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, when you have done everything that is commanded of you, you still have to say, we are unprofitable servants. We have simply done what was our duty to do. You see, even though we we're masters, And he addresses as masters and we have authority and we know with absolute authority, we can say to a servant, go and he goes and to another one, come and he comes. Yet at the same time, because we're under authority and when we do what we're authorized to do, it is no kudos to us. We can't take any heirs to ourselves because we have simply done what we are required to do. We're under authority. And, and so I want to take you back to Jesus' disciples. In, in Luke chapter 6, he calls the 12 to himself. And then in Luke chapter 9, he sends them out. And the Bible says he gives them power and authority. And he says, go out, heal the sick, cast out demons, And in the parallel passages, we, you know, he gives instructions to his disciples and he ultimately ends with this freely. You have received freely give. And that is the undergirding empowering. We have freely received from God. Now it is, we are obligated to freely give when it comes to the matter of forgiveness with which this chapter starts. You have received forgiveness. Now freely give forgiveness forgiveness. When you have received authority to heal the sick, do it. And God will back you up because he's authorized you to do it. You don't need to pray for God to heal the sick. He said, heal the sick. And how do you heal the sick? You speak the words of of healing. Remember, he calls the 12 in Luke 6. He doesn't do many miracles, but one of the things he does do in Luke in 7 he they see him speaking the word and the servant is made whole they see Jesus exercising authority in healing by simply speaking simply declaring I love it. I was meditating on this last week and in my readings in Luke, I came to the passage where Jesus healed the woman who had the spirit of infirmity and she was bent double in the synagogue. And Jesus sees the woman and the first thing he does is he speaks and he says, woman, thou art loosed. From thy infirmity. Now we've got to deal with that verse for a little bit. Those of you who read the book Son or the Birthright know that I go into this in great deal in the chapter talking about the children's bread, that healing is the children's bread. But what he's saying, he uses the perfect tense in the Greek, which is the tense of a resultant state of being. I illustrate it all the time by the fact that. When I say to somebody, Bev and I are married, I'm not calling to mind in that statement the ceremony in 1973, 20th of January 1973, in First Baptist Church, East London, where we got married. I'm calling into mind the resultant state of being that 47 years later, Bev and I are in a state of being married because of what happened 47 years ago. In the same way, Jesus speaks over this woman, thou art loosed, perfect tense. When was she loosed? He gives us a clue because he goes on to say, Should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from her infirmity on the Sabbath day? So what he is referring to is she's a daughter of Abraham. So she was loosed in Genesis chapter 15 when God cut covenant with Abraham, a covenant of blessing to Abraham and his offspring. And so we know that healing is in the covenant for those who are the seed of Abraham. Now, not only are we the seed of Abraham, Galatians 3, 14, through faith in Christ Jesus, not only are we the seed of Abraham, but we're the seed of the seed of Abraham. We are heirs of Christ's a bounty and all that he has accomplished. And so not only were we loosed by the covenant with Abraham, but we're loosed by what Jesus, the seed of Abraham, accomplished on the cross of Calvary. So when I say to somebody, you are Loosed from your infirmity. I have the authority of the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant that Jesus sealed in his blood. I can declare you are loosed, you are healed. Now, I want to take you to Isaiah 61. This is the passage with which Jesus started his entire ministry, and I want you to listen to it carefully. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And now listen to this, to proclaim liberty to the captives the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So that's also proclamation to proclaim the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim. He is anointed to proclaim. He is anointed to speak. This whole passage is about speech. Spoken authority. Speak to the mulberry tree. Speak to the mountain. Speak the word of forgiveness. Say to the servant, do this and he does it. Say to the soldier, go and he goes. Speak to the infirmity, the spirit of infirmity. Woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmity. And then Jesus reaches out and touches her, and immediately she straightened up. He declared it. Now, she had a spirit of infirmity. It was a spiritual thing. He didn't cast out the demon on that occasion. He just had to speak. You are loosed. (laughs) Oh, boy. uh, Man, I hope you're getting this because we're going to develop this in in coming uh, months. This is so powerful. This is so important. All we have to discover is what has he authorized us to do? And then we can speak it. We can declare it. Uh, Let me draw your attention again to Jesus crossing over the sea with the disciples in the boat and the storm arising. And Jesus speaks to the wind, rebukes the wind and speaks peace to the sea. He rebuked the wind. He spoke, he rebuked the wind. And then he speaks peace to the waves. You get it? Get it? Authority is exercised through our mouths. Now, can you understand why Satan wanted to so intimidate me back in South Africa in 1999 He wanted me to feel so self-conscious because of the argument that Bev and I had got into that we'd forget that we were under authority. And so I want to close with this passage. Again, a passage which we're going to visit again, but it's so important. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go into the temple and there in the gate, beautiful, sits a lame man. Now, don't you know that Jesus passed by that lame man many times as he begged for alms and Jesus didn't heal him. Why? I don't know, but I think he was, it was a setup for Peter and John. It was their divine appointment. It was their divine opportunity. And so he begs for alms, and Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. Such as I have. What did he have? He had the authority. He says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He had learnt well from Jesus. You speak, you speak. Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda, take up your bed and walk. His word had the authority and the man rose up and walked. People, I'm going to deal with this matter in months to come. We, because of intimidation of the enemy, we have felt so imperfect in ourselves and so self-conscious that we would rather ask God to do what he has instructed us to do. Peter had learned the lesson well. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk and the man immediately leaps to his feet and of course there's a great hubbub and so everybody is running around peter and john and peter says this to them he says why do you look at us as though through our power and godliness this man stands before you well be it known unto you that through the name of jesus of nazareth and through faith in his name and his name represents his authority. This man stands before you well. Peter understood the correlationship between faith and authority, the ability and the power, authority to speak to things, and they would would obey because you are under the authority of the instruction of Jesus. And Peter immediately deflects all the attention away from himself. And we desperately need it in these days, because if somebody starts manifesting a little bit of anointing to heal the sick, oh, my word, we we are so star conscious. We will immediately elevate them into a lofty position and honor them and so on. Oh, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. I was reading something on Facebook this morning. Persecution has not destroyed many prophets, but popularity has. That's it. You see, If we start elevating people because they're walking in authority and we make it out as if it's them, it's due to their godliness, it's due to their power, it's due to their dedication, it's due to their consecration that miracles happen. We're deflecting the glory away from God and we're setting them up for a fall. Let's stop doing that. It's not because of their power and their godliness. It's through faith in the authority that's been given to them in the name of Jesus. The Lord said this to me, if you will condemn yourself for your failure you'll also take credit for your success and they are equally bad because if you take credit for your success then you're going to set yourself up for a fall pride comes before a fall it's not about our power and our godliness that's why i had to go through what i went through before the gold was manifested in south africa it was not about me it was about god's grace and god's goodness and the authority had given me and he made that clear with the Mercedes SL and that restaurant at the side of the road so that I had the confidence not in my holiness, not in my being a a man of God it's about the fact that I was under authority to declare the gold in, in South Africa and he did it not because of my power and my godliness but because he had authorized me at that time, that was what he was doing in the earth and so I was authorized and so we did it all over the world, we went to New Zealand, we took Brad to New Zealand on a trip and there God did some amazing things amongst the young people instead of uh, putting gold fillings in their mouth kids that had had fillings their teeth became absolutely whole with no fillings in them it was a sign and a wonder he was just doing so many things in that area and I, the the mouth is so important in the kingdom what we say and so God wants to do miracles in our mouths so that our mouths declare the glory of God and our mouths are full of our authority and we speak and we declare what God has authorized us to speak and declare I can't tell you How strongly I'm feeling that in these days. Because we desperately need in these days for people to rise up, God's people to rise up in their authority and to declare the glory of God in the earth because people's hearts are failing them through fear because of COVID 19. And if we're not declaring, To the the people that God rules and God reigns and God is at work and he's working out a higher purpose. The COVID-19 might have been because of an accident of men and might be used by men who have ulterior political motives and, and are out to wreak havoc in the earth. So what? God is going to turn it for good. He is able to turn everything that the devil intends for evil into good and we should be declaring that we should be declaring to people final page has not been written watch keep your eyes open because you're going to see the glory of God in this whole thing God's power is going to be manifested and we should we should have people be able to speak healing to heal the sick who do have COVID-19 because we have God's authority in our mouths. I trust you're getting this, folks. We're going to expand upon this because it's so important. This is the heart of knowing who you are are. It's not about knowing who you are so you can feel happy and, you know, fat and happy and contented and so on. But it's so that you can begin to function as an agent of the kingdom of God and to overthrow. He's waiting till all all his enemies are made his footstool. And how is he going to make his enemies his footstool? Through his body, which we are members of. We're going to tread on serpents, on scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy because that's the authority that has been given to us and so it's so important that you know who you are and you know how your authority is exercised i want to encourage you in this coming month start to speak what you hear in your spirit start to declare boldly what you hear the spirit saying to you start declaring over your finances prosperity because that is god's will and god's purpose for you start declaring over your your checking account The Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. You have the authority to declare that because God's word says it. Because he is your shepherd, you have no lack. Start declaring over your family the unity of the home. Start declaring over your marriage love deep sacrificial love in your marriage start declaring that your marriage is made whole start declaring God's will for your life don't go to God as a beggar and say oh God please do this and that do this and the other no speak what God has spoken you have authority to do it if his word says it you have authority to declare it my God shall supply all all your need according to his riches in glory need in every area of your life god my god shall supply all your need and it's not according to your need it's according to his riches in glory and he's infinitely rich in glory so he wants to provide your needs in an over and abundant way Ha! <sighs> So Father in the name of Jesus I just pray for everyone hearing this word and I ask you to stir something deep within them. Awaken something that has been dormant in all your children. They know deep inside of them that they're designed for something far superior than living under intimidation and self-consciousness and fear. They know inside of them that you have destined them for something greater than just merely getting by and merely existing. And so I'm asking you to stir this whole matter of authority deep within them and when we understand the authority that we are under faith will arise within us to believe that if we speak what you have said then what you have said will take place you will 100 percent back your word the angels are waiting in heaven to to, to heed the voice of your word David says in the Psalms, they're waiting for us to declare what God has said, and then they will break out of the the starting blocks of heaven to do it. I, I just wanted to share this picture. I was in prayer with two of my brothers in South Africa years ago, and we were praying and one of them is a seer. And as I was praying, he had a picture of what was happening in heaven. And every time I spoke something according to what God's word said, he saw, as it were, a, a God just flicking his finger. And an angel would just rush out of the starting gates to go and accomplish what I had just said in prayer. And then I would speak another thing according to the will of God. And my, my, my fr- brother saw God, again, flick his finger and another angel went speeding out. The angels heed to the voice of his word. they listening for you to speak the word of God with authority, with confidence that God will do what he has promised to do and said he will do. Now, let me tell you, you're going to be intimidated. The first few times you do it, nothing might happen or you'll become so self-aware. Don't let that stop you. Keep declaring, keep declaring, keep speaking healing. Keep speaking healing, keep speaking prosperity, keep speaking unity, keep speaking those things which Jesus died to make ours. Father, I'm asking you to strengthen your children with might by your spirit in the inner man. They'll become so overwhelmingly conscious of your love for them and that the undergirding of your kingdom and of everything that you do is your love for us and your desire to express that love through us. You're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesman. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you. And thank you for listening.